Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Hi, this is Kevin. And I'm Eric. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look back at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. you doing tonight <laughs> i'm great welcome back eric welcome back listeners yes welcome Hello, back everyone yes. thanks for joining us again um in the dead of winter probably by now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this wonderful uh revisit of uh 80s this is a really like a cult movie it I feel like. super is and yeah I admit, I feel like I kind of like pushed on this a little bit because no. I love this movie a lot. I mean, it was always one that needed to be talked about because it's just, I like the movies that are good and weird yeah. and have a lot of like subtext and things yes. to, to, to pick apart. That's my favorite. Right. So. I mean, the worst thing a movie can be is boring. And this movie is not boring. Oh, that's one thing it's definitely not. <laughs> well, what, what's your personal history with this? Well, so I, I watched this movie when I was a kid multiple times with my father. My father loved this movie growing up. And so we watched this a couple of times. And so this is sort of a part of my experience uh, all the way back in the 1980s, uh, it came out in 84. I think the first time I saw it was around 89. Okay. So I was like eight years old the first yeah. time I saw this. So the, this, that was a real kind of impressionable. Sure, sure. So I have memories of this movie going all the way back. So, I mean, I've, I've been screaming Wolverine since, which, which will make sense for a very, <laughs> yeah. very long time. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I want to say one of my earliest memories in life, it's a story that's come up on the podcast before, but was my dad like secretly letting me watch Conan the Barbarian nice. when I was probably like five years old or nice. something, you know, and be like, don't tell your mom I let you watch this. <laughs> and that's just, and it was the TV edit and everything, but still for a five-year-old, it's oh, a lot, yeah. you that's know what like, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, this one, it was always on my radar, but somehow it was like a one I never actually watched. And I don't know why, because yeah. if I had seen this when I was, you know, like a seven, eight, nine year old kid, whatever, it would have blown my mind. I would have loved it because this was on basic cable, I think, like all the time. Oh, constantly. I mean, that's that's this my, in Roadhouse. Yeah, this was the my time. first exposure. So many of 80s and early 80s and mid 80s action movies. My first experience was on TBS. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw the original Mad Max, which is 70s, but still oh, yeah, yeah. was on TBS with commercials, right? Rad, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's such a weird thing to watch That's Mad I watched, Max. Like, Beastmaster, you probably watched it like oh, me yeah. all the time. All the time. It was on every weekend yeah. in Rocky 2 and Rocky 4, <laughs> not Rocky 3. Not, never Rocky have, 3. They didn't have the rights to that one, apparently. Yeah, yeah it was wild shit. Wait, and it is. a logic a lot of Chuck Norris flicks. I saw so many Chuck Norris movies growing up. Yeah. But yeah, with Rocky, I, I was an adult before I saw Rocky 3. 
Yeah. Right. Like and I, I think it's great. Yeah. I love Rocky three. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, you would see at the beginning of Rocky four, right. They'd had the very end of Rocky yeah. three. Yeah. And you're like, well, what the hell what is this going on? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. But Mr. T clubber Lang. <laughs> yeah. Great villain. And I don't know if we talked about this while we were recording or not, but apparently the plot of this movie was inspired by like real studies done at like at universities in the military, like about where are our vulnerabilities, our yeah, security, absolutely. like what kind of attack are we, are we uh, susceptible to Yeah, or whatever? I, yeah, it was, uh, oh shoot, I didn't write it down. I thought I wrote the college down. It was so um, not like a military college, like war college yeah, or something. It was. I think and is where they're training officers. Exactly. And, stuff. and they were talking about where our weak points were. And one of the weak points that they mentioned in this is interesting. Was like the Mexican border? It was the Mexican border. Well, it's yeah. a very long border with it's not the, a lot of people around. It's the, it's. We, we the United States is interesting in that it has the longest border in the world, United States and Canada. Okay, and I then know I that. think the yeah the the longest border in the world is between the United States and Canada, and then the border between Mexico and the United States. I think it's also like top five or something. Yeah, it's epic. So we have these massively long borders in very like sparsely populated areas yeah. too, yeah. where it's like. Yeah, there's not a lot of people to see if there were thousands of people sneaking across. Right, exactly. Like, it can go unnoticed or whatever. Um, but do you want to try to catch us up on what happened in the yeah, first episode I'll do, here? I'll do a quick sum up. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's easy because we start off, kids are in high school, and then immediately the 80s-style commies invade, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> kids. Generic commies. Generic they commies. They were from all over the world. All Communists over. of the world unite. <laughs> Communists of the world unite. Exactly. So uh, the, our, our, our cast are incredibly 80s-stellar cast. Um, they get into a truck. They uh, they they get supplied at a gas station. They run up to the mountains and they survive for a month up in the mountains. At one point, yeah, yeah. The, the the class president suggests that they surrender, and Patrick Swayze says, "No, we're not doing that." Right. And then we we yeah, kill it a like deal. There was a little bit of drama, like a little dissent among the groups, but Patrick yes. Swayze sort of got them all in line. Now. Gets them in line, whips them into shape. They go hunting. We we drink some deer blood, yes. <laughs> and then okay. one of the characters says we should probably head back into town and see what's going right. on. Right? Let's see. It's been a month. Like, what the hell's going yeah, on down there? Exactly. So the next day, they head back down into town, Calumet. They come past like a burnt out remains of a tank. It was never made clear, but I think this is supposed to be the American like tanks, the remnants of that battle that that the evil communist like leader Bella was telling him how to repel the tank attack. That was the sense that, that was the sense that I got, but, and this is something that comes up at least for me when I was watching it over and over again is it feels like we're always looking at the aftermath of things. Yeah. A lot right? cheaper to show the, aftermath. It is, it, right. Exactly. <laughs> like we see the paratroopers falling into the high school, uh, football field, but we don't see the planes that drop them no. off. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, this is another kind of thing, but it, it, it's pretty effective. Like uh, the note that I took is like, holy moly, like heading back to the town, it, it, it looks like a war zone. Yeah. Right. So it's it's uh, Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen and C. Thomas Howell are coming down. And I was thinking like, there's no way the other three are like, OK, we'll wait here. Yeah. Like they yeah. were the ones who wanted to go and see what's happening more than anybody. Right. But. Anyway, Swayze, maybe he like just beat asses. <laughs> like, it's like, no, you're staying here. So they get to a position where they can survey the town from a distance through binoculars. And they're surprised to see that the town is like full of people still. And there's mm-hmm. convoys of troops passing through and stuff like that. I feel like the town has become like a 
a tra- sort of a transit hub or something like maybe that's why it's wanted I, by the so. commies because yeah. otherwise it doesn't make a lot of sense right but they decide we're going to leave our weapons here on the outskirts of town and we're going to wander down into town and see what the hell is going on which feels like a crazy thing to do just like walk into town brazenly like that I like agree. they don't know if they're gonna immediately be asked to show papers <laughs> right. or like there's a security right. checkpoint outside the town or whatever right exactly. and also like I feel like after a month or whatever it's been that the people who are running the town would be like, here's a face I haven't seen before. Yeah. Like, who the fuck are you, dude? Yeah. But, and you're also like filthy, dirty, and stinky. Like, you probably (laughs) look like you've been living out in the woods for a month. But no one apparently notices. Yeah, they just wander on in. The troops are sort of moving around, and the townspeople who they all used to know, they're wandering around almost like zombies. Um it's hard to even imagine though what this would be like in real life. Like it might be close. Like life goes on and people are like, okay, this is normal now. Yeah. Like people don't seem happy about it, but they also are probably just like, I don't want to die. We'll just go along and hope the army shows up and saves us or whatever. Yeah. But they've got like tanks and artillery everywhere. This like camo painted Cadillac drives through or whatever. And they say, that's the mayor's car. (laughs) That's Daryl's dad. The thing that I love is that it's October in the mountains of Colorado, so everything is freezing cold. So I thought it was a real baller move for Colonel Bella to still drive around in this caddy <laughs> with yes. the top down, right? I mean, like, the hell yeah. Go, guy. You get it. The The movie theater in town was shown Alexander Nevsky. This, yes. like, old Russian film by, uh, by Sergei Eisenstein or whatever, yeah. which is ironically about a Russian prince who's fighting off invading army. Well, Sergei Eisenstein is one of the most like influential filmmakers in all of film. Yeah, he invented Potemkin. Yeah, he invented montage. Yeah, right? like he was the creator of the concept of montage. So, like, there it was absolutely intentional. And I don't know if Milius is the one who told him to put up there, or yeah. if it was the production designer. But the head of production or somebody said, like, this is the movie we want on this market. For sure. It was not an accident. No, no, no. It was perfect. It was such a good choice. You got, like, soldiers there burning books. They go into this drugstore where a friend had worked before. The shelves are mostly empty, like the fucking early days of COVID in there. I remember. Uh, She tells them, like, you got to get out of town and hide because they're looking for you. So that was that. Okay, I want to pause on that. Why these high school students in particular, why are they being looked for? That's true, because they haven't actually done anything yet to to hurt them. Right, exactly. Yeah, like, no, it makes not not a lot of sense. Maybe maybe they're just like uh, unchecked boxes on ledgers. Yeah, we know that there's this. I don't know how they would have come up with a role of who all's supposed to live in this town and who's missing or whatever. But they're obviously missing persons. Yeah, and so but I, that's I don't. Kind of but that would require to, townspeople to cooperate with them. And which I, maybe there are some who are doing that. Well, we do. We we yeah. know of at least one who we will meet at some point. Yeah. So I don't know, but. Uh, they're all huddled around speaking in like hushed voices. And there's a, a Russian soldier who seems <laughs> to be like working security right there. Who's disinterested. In yeah. This. Just completely yeah. oblivious or just uh, couldn't give a shit less. So she tells them that it's Russians and Cubans who, who came in. So as asks, where's my dad? And she tells them that he was uh, one of the people who got arrested because they thought he'd be a troublemaker and was sent to a, re-education camp and i'm using scare quotes yeah for sure so she says this is something we're not supposed to talk about and i was wondering like i don't know how the communists would go about 
determining who was a troublemaker. Right. Exactly. I, I have that same question because some people they other just than kill like on who had, who owns a lot of guns. Yeah. Probably you're, you're one who we don't want to like let out of our sight or whatever like that. That's fair. But at the same time though, that some people they just kill indiscriminately. Yeah. So why would you why would you keep the the super militant <laughs> pro rah rah American guys in an education camp and then just randomly murder other people? Right. Right. She tells them they turn the old drive-in into this camp yep. for the troublemakers. So the boys leave there. She says, I'm going to pray for you. And that's her, <laughs> her role in the movie that's is done it. now. They're done. Yeah, that's, that's it. So She's gone. after nightfall, they approach the drive-in where the prisoners are being made to watch like propaganda movies about how evil America is. So I just want to say that I wrote in my notes, it's just like the prison from Face Off. Just a quick call <laughs> really was, yeah. to their last movie. And there, there's a voiceover on the film is saying, America is a whorehouse <laughs> where the revolutionary ideas of your forefathers are corrupted and sold in alleys by of capitalism, which is like, there's a little truth to that, you know I mean? but, you know, but, but still they walk along the fence line there until they see a familiar face inside. It's a friend of their dad's. So this seems like really high risk behavior to me to be doing. Oh my God. Like, yes. But Swayze, you're one of them says, go find our dad. And then see Thomas Howell's like, is my dad in there? And he's like, I'll look for you. So this guy returns with Swayze and Sheen's dad played by Harry Dean Stanton. Mm hmm. He's pretty like beat up. Mm -hmm. It seemed like there's something wrong with him almost. Like at first I thought he was blind. Yeah. Because like, he seemed to be like just staring right through him. Like he didn't quite see him or something. Yeah. But yeah. maybe it's like him just making perform a performance choice. Like <laughs> I'm in shell shock <laughs> I mean, or PTSD it is or Stanton something. Here. He's worked with David Lynch. So, yeah. right. But they never say anything about him being like damaged or no, anything. I like mean, that. other than a limp, and but that just could be just from a, a skirmish, right? You know? But so this was the missed opportunity, I feel like, where if you had had Emilio Estevez in that part, then this definitely would have been Martin Sheen, like playing the dad. And it would have been kind of rad to see them all on film together or whatever. I, I agree, though, that this get this did get paid off in Hot, Hot Shots Part Due when um, uh, Charlie Sheen obviously is the protagonist of that <laughs> movie and it's a Rambo 2 parody and they're going through the deltas of Vietnam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Martin Sheen like is on the other yeah. yeah. yeah, and the, the narration transitions from Charlie Sheen to Martin oh, Sheen. Okay. So we do get that at some point, but yes, I agree. Like it would be an amazing moment. So, so he tells him, dad tells him that, you know, I knew you were alive out there. I know I was hard on you sometimes and you hated me for it, but now you understand. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's you, like, did he always know the commies were coming? Right. It's like uh, C. Thomas Howell's dad. I always knew this day was coming. Right. This is, a, this is a town in Colorado. Everybody lived there because they knew the commies were coming right. at some point. Yeah. It's like, and that's why I was such an abusive dad. Right. It was right. just a weird speech he gave. It was. It was, it was really strange. And, unhealthy and toxic to the extreme. Yeah, it sounds, ter it sounds like their childhood was hell. Awful. I know. So Swayze then asks, why are they keeping you here at the re-education camp? And he says, it doesn't matter. Everything's gone now and I'm not going to be around to look after you anymore. It's like pretty grim outlook. <laughs> so she, Charlie Sheen then is like, what happened to mom? And dad doesn't say anything which seem, would seem to imply that she's probably dead. Mm -hmm. uh, he tells the crying sons that there's no more time for tears. 
This speech is relevant later because it keeps getting like harking oh, yeah. back to or whatever. Yeah. Plus the bit about like, remember when we were little and we'd go to the playground and I'd swing you on the swings? I feel like that's like paid off at the very end of the movie. Yeah, very end. Yeah. So C. Thomas Howell then asks, what happened to my dad? And Harry Dean Stanton says he doesn't know. Dad tells him, you know, you better get going before you're captured. They exchange the little I love yous. And then <laughs> as they're walking off... <laughs> Dad flies into a rage and he starts screaming at him, avenge me, avenge me. And it's weird. Which is my favorite line of the whole movie. <laughs> I actually like I had forgotten this completely. Yeah. <laughs> and then this happens out of nowhere because there's no there's no context no. for it. He's making a loud racket now. I feel like he's put like right. this, this is going to get some attention. This is going like, to get some attention. Wait, 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 wait. Who who's he talking to? Yeah, there's some American who's saying, "Avenge me!" We need to go <laughs> right. And I just I burst out laughing. Actually, I I actually like took a point in my notes. It's comical. Yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's like, I think it's unintentionally comical. It was but, wild. It was also like narcissistic yeah. shit. Because oh he's God. not like, be careful or keep yourselves alive or like try to escape. It's like, no, no. Avenge <laughs> me. <laughs> Risk your safety oh, to man. avenge me. Nothing's even happened to him yet. No, nothing has happened. I mean, he's, I mean, he's being held captive, right? Sure, but, but there's plenty of people who've already been murdered at this point. He's not dead, yeah. There's anyway. really nothing to avenge at this point. But the guards are slack, and this doesn't get their attention or whatever. So later on, the boys, they approach a cabin where there's an elderly couple, the Masons, mm -hmm. that are living there. Mm -hmm. They're happy to see the boys. They welcome them in, have them warm up by the fire. I guess they're like friends of the family or something. Yeah, I just sort of accepted it as these yeah, are people that a they small know. Town. Yeah, everybody knows everybody. So there's a bit of dialogue that says they've been holed up for five weeks. So mm -hmm. I guess that's how long it's been. Mm -hmm. I feel like the first thing they would want to do is get showers. But that doesn't happen. <laughs> that does not happen. So the old man tells them, you know, that no one had seen you boys in so long that we all thought you had headed to free America. Which we get context okay. for what that means later. Yeah, it's yeah. a safe zone where the communists don't occupy mm -hmm. um then he says you boys is in occupied territory you're 40 <laughs> miles behind enemy lines right smack dab in the middle of world, world war, war three, three. okay oh, yeah we're we're really hitting the world this is the second time world war three has been invoked yeah. at this point well, they're pretty close to the front all mm -hmm. things considered right i mean 40 miles behind enemy lines I feel like that's why it's a high activity area is because this is the front line yeah, I agree. They're up in the mountains, and we, we do get a little bit of context for why the mountains are relevant later in the movie. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So Mr. Mason then asks him, why do you risk coming to town? Swayze says, we're looking for information since we haven't talked to anybody since this all started. Now, Mrs. Mason comes in with some cups of soup. Mr. Mason goes to the back room and returns with a transistor radio for them to take and a bottle of liquor, which is amazing. <laughs> this will keep you warm. <laughs> he says, I feel like that shit would last like 30 minutes There's with no like way. six dudes. Oh, yeah. They're going to hit that so hard. It's, gonna, it's not going to last at all. So then he warns the boys, stay clear of town because people have started being killed at night and the communists are telling the people in town that you guys are doing it. Which makes no sense. Right. We Again, we come back to, like, why? It's I also, mean, yeah, weird little subplot that's never mentioned no, again. It's never, it's never paid off. Right. So, C. Thomas Howell asked the Masons if they know what happened to his parents. Mr. Mason says that the communists killed your dad after discovering all the missing guns and supplies from the store because he was, like, supporting, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, rebels or some mm -hmm. shit. So that's a sad end for Mr. Mason. C. Thomas Howell breaks down crying. Swayze gets real pissed off and 
C. Thomas Howell, to me, was doing like the best acting I've probably ever seen from him when he's like, you didn't do anything wrong yeah. and all that stuff. He feels guilty, I guess, that they got him killed. Uh, Mr. Mason says, no, the commies killed him. Don't you forget that or whatever. <laughs> the dude playing Mr. Mason was a good-ass actor. I know. I looked, his, I looked him up. He's an Oscar winner. Oh, that I did not that know. Guy, I just like he w- he was selling that role of the old man in the in the cabin. He was well. best supporting actor for the last picture show. Really? Yeah, which I remember liking that movie, but I wow. don't remember much else about it. Uh, so I need to watch that again. But yeah, wow. Ben Johnson is his name. Academy Award winner Ben Johnson and Red Dawn. You would think that like in later prints of the movie, like DVD movies, they would Give him top billing, right? Academy Award winning Absolutely. winner Ben Johnson. For sure. Also Patrick Swayze. <laughs> but so Mr. Mason says, no one knows where your mom is. Yeah. He tells them they need food. They need a place to sleep. Come on by any time. Mr. Mason says, we got a couple of heirlooms we want you boys to hide. Which was a weird uh, word for. Yeah, the, the grandma or Mrs. Mason got alarmed. At first, I thought for sure, like, oh, he's going to, he's got like old guns he wants him to take or something like that. But it's not old guns. No. He, he uh, pops open this hatch on the floor. And there's two young girls in there, Leah Thompson and Jennifer Gray. Two icons of the 80s. His granddaughters. And it's like, well, 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 this is interesting. I don't know. I was, I I mentioned before, I was so into Jennifer Gray as Ferris Bueller's sister. I thought she was just like so hot. Mm -hmm. I got like a bad habit of being into like sort of like bitchy chicks. (laughs) My, my kryptonite, but it's wild to think that like later on she was going to go do dirty dancing with Swayze. And then she had the scene with Charlie. She did like scenes with Charlie Sheen and Ferris Bueller. And it's just like, so wild how, intersecting all these 80s young stars i mean we talked about how so many of the cast of this movie showed up in the outside so half of them were in the outsiders yeah. a couple of them were the leads of dirty dancing yeah. it's yeah. like wild it's, it's crazy yeah but um yeah leah thompson she's obviously like catapult to really big success after this with back to the future so now mr mason says they these girls snuck their way to us the communists had tried to have their way with them He's, yeah which is like a really specific thing to say and I will say that it it feels like it's something that comes up over and over again, specifically with uh with with uh, with Gray's character. Yeah, right. Can't keep her hands off. Her. I mean, every time she encounters a Kami, they want to <laughs> just get it in with her, and it is ridiculous. So, Mister Mason, he wants the boys to take them, and don't tell me where you're taking them, right? right. So I can't. Right. be forced to tell the commies where they right. are or whatever. Which is smart. Which is That's smart. smart. Yeah. I think sending them off with a bunch of horny dudes is probably <laughs> like unwise Who've though. Who've been up in the mountains <laughs> yeah. for a month and... Tossing two young hot girls in with six dudes <laughs> is like, I feel like it's going to cause problems. Recipe for Like disaster. the dudes are going to be at each other's throats pretty quickly. Yeah, I over think this so. Shit. But they're surprisingly gentlemanly about the whole thing. Uh, yeah, it never really plays out that way, but it does seem like it'd be like, you know, bringing a hen around a bunch of roosters or whatever. <laughs> But but so now the Masons outfit them with horses, give them some more ammunition. Here's some bullets for your granddaddy's gun. Specifically, again, we talked about this in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. The, that cult comes up multiple times over the yeah. course of this movie. Yeah. So it sends them on their way, which I was just wondering, like, what the hell are these horses going to eat? You know, like right now, I feel like you could gr- they can graze. But like in another month or two, everything no. that they would want to eat is going to be dead. And they're going to need like hay. You know, but I mean, whatever, I feel but, like like with all movies, the, the horses have plot armor. We need them yeah, to be they, in the movie. They survive. And so somehow. we're not going to worry about it. We're just going to assume. 
Yeah, so now later on that night, they're all huddled around the campfire listening to Radio Free America. The The station is giving updates and coded messages to, like, resistance fighters. The trapped. chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. Yeah. Which is apparently from another movie. That's a reference from another movie. Yeah, okay. Which I don't remember the name of it right now. <laughs> but, yeah, John I has a long I read the same thing, and I can't remember the name either, but yeah. it was another, like, a Radio Free Europe, yes. like, yes. World War Two flick or whatever. Total reference to World War Two. So, now... Uh, this is another one of the ideas that's very interesting and then never again is nope. Radio Free uh, America nope. play any part in the story. So see Thomas Howell, he's still inconsolable about his parents are probably dead. The girl, <laughs> so one of them is like just things are different now. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's an understatement. I actually, in my notes, I have a break at the things are different now line because yeah. it felt so... Like it's such an inflection point. The way they they said it, and the way they they lingered on her when they said that line, it felt like we have changed. We have changed into a, a new section of the movie. Maybe that's the end of Act One. Yeah, that's what I feel like, right? Okay. Yeah. So sometime later, Darren Dalton and Danny they see a communist truck like coming up the road up the mountain. So they run to tell the others. Three Russians arrive at a scenic sort of viewpoint. They get out to look around and take pictures. There's a marker up there for Arapaho National Forest, mm-hmm. which does exist, but it's in like the northern part mm-hmm. of the state. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm like, it's nowhere near where the actual real life town of Calumet had been, but it's like way up near Rocky Mountain National Fo- National Park and everything like mm-hmm. that. So I don't know. I'm at a like, loss on where within the state of Colorado they're supposed to be. I don't think be. that they know where they are in the state of Colorado. Yeah, I don't honestly. know. <laughs> so the commies, they're looking around at the historical marker. One Russian asked the other, what does it say? You, re- you read English. And then this dude gives them a completely wrong translation of what it <laughs> says, which is funny. Like, he is literally just making things up. All it said was like, this is 20,000 square like <laughs> acres of of untouched forest set aside on this year or whatever. Right. And he's like, oh, yes. Yeah, this plot, <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt led a, led a famous battle against the Indians and the cowboy yeah. army and all this stuff. And it was like, this is the biggest battle of the American West. And all the, the other two dudes are like, very impressive. I took that as intentional. Like, I, I thought that like, okay, because it, I, I have in my notes, like, even evil communists like being tourists. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so this guy's like, oh, <laughs> oh, I they think I know how to read English. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I need to impress them, right? Yeah. So I took that as, like, an intentional kind of gag, right? Oh, yeah. It was certainly meant for, like, a little comic relief moment. Right, right. Exactly. Was, yeah, yeah. It was funny, too. It was. It worked. Yeah. So now they're taking turns having their pictures taken by the marker. And uh, one of the soldiers finds an arrow lying on the ground. and. Now we see there's a few of the kids are like sort of hiding just below where they are. So this is, I want to pause here again because we mentioned this in the last episode. This movie plays it really fast and loose with time. When they're up in over the, looking over the bluff and they see the cars walking in, they have at least a half hour. I would think so. To leave. Well, yeah, because they, they have that moment where they're like, we got to go warn the others. Right. And then I, it's hard to tell if they've been warned and they're laying in wait for them or if they're like oh my god we didn't get by away surprise and, right and they're hiding yeah and so it wasn't clear to me no. what the intentions there were no clue and the way it read given how scared they were it felt like that they had been caught unawares and that's how it seemed because they weren't like armed and ready to fight exactly or anything like that yeah but so yeah 
the the dude finds the arrow on the ground and he starts speculating this is an ancient Native American <laughs> artifact. And the brains of the group was like, like it's made of metal and plastic. Dude. <laughs> it was more humor. So yeah. he they start looking around. He's like, look, there's gonna let's find more arrows. They start looking around. Jennifer Gray panics for some reason and she knocks some like loose rocks around. Mm-hmm. So one of the Russians goes chasing after Jennifer Gray. Another one grabs Leah Thompson, who was there. Danny like notches up an arrow and shoots the Russian who's grabbed Leah Thompson in the back. Mm-hmm. The him being the first one to get violent is like kind of a surprise because he was been like sort of the the most passive of the group or whatever. But I think we argue like he's really just defending. They're just defending themselves right now. Yeah. So uh, the guy who shot in the back, he tries to crawl away, but the girls grab him and Jennifer Gray picks up the AK-47 and like just lets him have it. Hey, uh, that was a pretty hot moment. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so now the other boys, they're taking cover in the forest while the Russians are like pursuing them. See Thomas Howell pops out and blows one of them away with shotgun blast. See Thomas Howell. He, he like makes sense to me. He's been like, he's been out of sorts ever since learning about his dad. Yeah. Like he's been bloodthirsty a little yeah. bit. So now the last remaining Russian, he tries to flee and they, they just open fire on him. Like all of them, he gets back to the truck and he's like bleeding all over the place from like, multiple gunshot wounds it seems so this bit's pretty dark because he gets in the truck gets the radio and he's pleading for help and Swayze just like leisurely walks up and points his daddy's or granddaddy's revolver at him and like just freaking blows him away off camera yeah but still the dude seemed young too like he's sort of like probably about Swayze's age right, you know exactly. which I think was intentional as yeah, well oh, absolutely there's no question about that and the the interesting thing is, uh, it, to go out of the movie a little bit, this was, at the time, when this movie came out, was the most violent movie ever released in American theaters. Right. And it was, I, I looked it up, and apparently, according to whoever tracks these things. It was, the Guinness Book of World Records like, it was, said it was the most most acts of violence per minute or something 2. like that. 2.23 acts of violence per minute. Which I don't know what qualifies as an act. Of, like is each, <laughs> is know. each gun, is each trigger pull one distinct act of violence? I don't or know is it how like, they, how they track yeah. it. But the thing that I love that it was, it was also the first movie ever released with a PG 13 rating. Yeah. I got some notes on that for sure for later, but yeah, it was like, and this is like a if and this if was a such very, a thing as a hard PG thirteen. This is like a hard PG thirteen because that is a really personal kill moment, right? Yeah. Like that is a moment that most movies would get an R for. Like there's not a ton of blood splatter no. in the movie or anything like that, which probably saved it from being an R. Yeah, and not yeah. a lot of bad language, but you know. But in my memory of the movie, the kids had just immediately become like stone cold killers. But it's taken a little bit of time. No, it is. I think. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think it's it's enough to justify their transition. Although once that light switch has been flipped, oh yeah, it's flipped. Like in my mind, it was like, oh, look at those parachutes. Get your guns. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's start killing. But it wasn't quite like that. I was like, it's glad to see the little bit of time and yeah. like extenuating circumstances uh, led to them starting to kill people because they're young kids. They right? are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, even if we assume that Swayze's not 32 yeah. <laughs> and his character is like a few what years said. out of school. Yeah. yeah. Like 22. I mean like that's a kid. That's still a kid. Yeah. So later on the kids, they're all gathered up in camp see Thomas Howell is turning his shotgun into a sawed off, which, okay. This is something that I wrote down 
Is there a logistical reason why you would turn something into a shot, a sawed off shotgun, other than trying to hide it, right? Uh, I think if you're going to be battling people in close quarters, right. it's more effective because you get like a wider spray right. of pellets right. versus if you're trying to hit something far away, you want a tighter right. spray. So I think if he figures it's going to be like close quarters fighting, then you a sawed off is maybe a better killing weapon than uh, a full length shotgun. I guess that makes sense. I so mean, maybe he's like, yeah, it's going to be up close and personal. Like I will, I will say, I feel like there's an inordinate amount of Hollywood movies that love to show people sawing off the barrels of shotguns to make them saw of shotguns. I mean, one of the most famous, obviously, is Terminator. Yeah, in the same year. Right. It was the same exact year, <laughs> yeah. right? So Absolutely. I feel like there was some prop master or some, you know, someone who discovered that, oh, there's this thing called sawed-off shotguns. <laughs> people like to watch them saw it off. Right. It's a, it's a good moment where you should see people saw off the barrel of a shotgun. For sure. So, <laughs> see Thomas Howell, he's like ready for more payback, right? Yeah. Now, Danny is a little bit rattled about the events of the day. He's like, they were just people. Yeah. And then see Thomas Howell's like, so was my dad, <laughs> which is like fair. They both make valid points, though. I think like they're both... Like, the kids are well within their rights to fight back, I think, now at this point in time. But it doesn't make it like a normal thing to be doing, right? So Arturo then is like, what was it like? And C. Thomas Howell says it felt good. So again, like, this goes back to, like, we talked about this in the last episode. I mean, he's one of the strongest characters in yeah. the film, like just his transition from innocent child to warrior, you know, it took. It seemed like it took the easiest with him, right? Like he was predisposed to yeah. be a fighter or whatever, and and that sort of raises the question of like, like Patrick Swayze and Charlie Sheen had horrible upbringing, yeah, as yeah. we've established at this point. What what yeah, was see, it? Thomas Howell's dad like seemed very nurturing yeah. from the tiny bit of him that we saw. So what was it about this whole situation? Well, I think that- it was his probably his dad getting killed pushed him over the edge. I yeah, guess, okay. but right. yeah, okay. But also, like at this point, Swayze tells the kids, like from now on, none of us can go back to town. Like yeah, they're gonna be looking for us now, whatever. So. Yeah, that's an understatement as well. But yeah. Charlie Sheen, and this is the moment where Charlie Sheen tells Leah Thompson, why don't you make yourself useful and go do my dishes or whatever, and like hands her a dirty bowl. I, and she loses her shit. That shit was nuts. I paused the movie at that point. I had to take a break. Holy because like, shit. Where did this come from? That's the one dude who's not going to be getting laid anytime soon. Not in the near future, no. I don't, it was such a weird battle of the, war of the sexist moment. It was, it was totally weird. I completely out of left field, right? Because by this point, Jennifer Grey had already, or or was it? She was getting attacked. I guess Jennifer Grey killed one of the soldiers, but like they've been making themselves useful. Yeah, like already (laughs) up to this point. Why don't you make yourself useful and clean my bowl? A, like, there's been no point in the movie up to this point where they have been a burden, right? No. And, and B, like, there's been no point in the movie where Charlie Sheen has been established as being a misogynist. <laughs> that was just, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird. She takes the bowl and throws it back in his face and says, the girls aren't here to do your dishes. We're as good as any of you guys. And then he's like, what's up your ass? <laughs> he doubled down. I mean, I feel like this is like exactly how their dad probably was with their mom, you know? I mean, I, you know, it like, tracks. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. We yeah. got the impression that he's kind of was a dirtbag or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, at this point, yeah. So now then Leah Thompson, she flips out on him. She says, I'll kill you if you ever say anything like that again. 
which is good for her, but like that's also extreme. So now a confused Charlie Sheen's like, what I do wrong? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Jennifer Gray's like, you know, bro, you were way out of line with that shit. Um, I I do feel like this scene might have been the first glimpse though into the type of performer that Charlie Sheen could be. Yeah. Because he really like, there's something special about what he's doing here. It's like <laughs> he's really selling these lines. The timing is perfect. Yeah. You know, he he just nailed it. Swayze seems like a little bit bothered i guess by the fact that they're at each other's throats here which makes sense i mean this is the first kind of real military encounter that they've had i mean they, at this point they have kills notched on their you know the stocks of their guns it's a lot of stress to be under right absolutely right? yeah so later on uh colonel bella and he's got a squad of soldiers and they found the bodies of the dead russians but it's this is not at all where the killings happen right and i'm wondering like did the body they're sort of trussed up the bodies were like bound up and stuff i was like wondering did the is this where they found the bodies the kids did the kids bring the bodies back down the mountain so whatever yeah. or did the soldiers find them up in the mountain and bring them down i don't know there's a lot of parts of this movie where i'm like okay well this is just i want the movie to keep going so i'm gonna have to accept it but i could not come up with an explanation for why the because why would these kids i mean they clearly were caught unawares in my opinion yeah 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 so why would after the killing them would they take the time to put them in that shit would take a while it would take a while the only thing i can say is maybe if if they find them near where your camp is then you're probably going to get found out sooner if you took them someplace else maybe it would that's they a, wouldn't find you i mean that takes a lot but, of premeditation but it would but also I mean, take a long time to do this and like they don't show any of that happening. Right, exactly. So this is another one of those moments where I'm like, okay, movie, I just want to, I want to keep watching you. So yeah. I'm not gonna pay Can attention we just keep to this. It, <laughs> let's move. Let's keep moving. But yeah, it made no sense watching these like dead corpses hogtied. Like, yeah. why did you hogtie them? There's no after way the, the Russians. There's no way the commies would hogtie them. No, like there's that. no point to it. So it yeah. was just a strange moment, and we're gonna just accept that it was we're strange. Accept that this happened and move on and keep powering through. <laughs> so, so Bella then he orders his guys from now on. No one's gonna leave the secure area except in like a large group, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. He also orders them to tell our their command, whatever, that they've got a problem in this sector. Mm -hmm. So Bella says we're going to do interrogations back in town, starting with the mayor, because someone's got to know like who who's doing this. I mean, I'll be honest, like like the Bea is is like he knows what's going on. He's actually maybe one of the smartest characters. Oh, for sure, in the whole movie. Well, and we'll find out later. But right, his background is no. I'm usually the other guy. Right. I'm usually exactly. on the flip side of this coin. Like I'm the the insurgent. I'm the revolutionary. It's it really is to me. Bea it, it represents a version of the script that didn't get made. Right. This is this is the original draft where it really was an anti-war commentary. And so you see it from the, the side of the Americans and you also see it from the side of the insurrectionists. And Bea, who is used to being the, uh, the one who's fighting the oppressive power, is now finding himself in the position of power. Yeah. He's actually in a lot of ways... It's the fucking with his head. Yeah, and he's actually in a lot of ways the most interesting character in the movie. He has the biggest, probably, transformation like, from yeah. beginning to end, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's no question about it, and we'll, we will get to that part. But so the heat is about to get turned up on the, on the kids Everything here. Everything changes. Yeah, so that's a, a 
place where we can leave it <laughs> for this week. Appreciate uh, you checking back in with us. We'll be back next week with a lot more. This movie really does keep it moving. Always. I feel like we flew through that episode, and I'm glad about it. Yeah. So we're going to be back next week. Uh, check us out on iTunes, on uh, whatever. Where the fuck do we every, listen to every, yeah, Spotify. We're all over the place. All over the oh, place. Check us out on Instagram, because my man Eric's fired up the account. And uh, he's making yeah. all sorts of posts. Check us out on the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. Shout out to all those dudes who are doing awesome other, like, 80s and 90s uh action movie theme podcast it's rad as fuck so check that out <laughs> <laughs> and until then we'll be back 